again, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Is This Heaven podcast, being recorded in the wake of maybe the most disappointing, confusing outcome of a Packer game that I've seen in my lifetime as a Packer fan. Obviously, the Packers played the Vikings to a 29-29 tie on Sunday with, you know, both teams leaving the field disappointed, honestly. Um, Both teams missed a bunch of opportunities to win the game. You had three missed field goals, one at the end of regulation by Mason Crosby that would have won it, two by Daniel Carlson, the Vikings kicker, in overtime that would have been uh, potential game winners, at least the first one. The second one uh, definitely would have been a game winner. Um, But like I said, just a confusing outcome all around, uh, whether you're looking at the result itself, maybe, just maybe, some of the officiating mistakes that guided this game to the outcome that it produced. I don't know. We'll get into that uh, a little bit later. But there's a lot to digest, so let's just dive right into what I liked from Sunday's game. First of all, the main topic going in was always going to be Aaron Rodgers. Uh, was he going to be able to move around? Was this ferocious Vikings defense going to bottle him up and just make it a living hell for him all day? He actually looked pretty good. He came out of the tunnel for warm-ups wearing a bulky Don Joy knee brace, the kind of things that you see offensive linemen typically wearing. Uh, but he... Th- actually proved throughout the game to be a lot more mobile uh, than I think a lot of people anticipated. He was able to navigate the pocket really nicely, uh, even scrambled for like a seven-yard gain and a first down at one point, which was actually incredible. Um, But, you know, not going to be one of those gaudy Aaron Rodgers statistical games. He did finish... 30 of 42, 281 yards and a touchdown. And that one touchdown is definitely something that we want to touch on, and we will at some point, because there was just not enough production offensively in terms of scoring six instead of scoring three. Uh, Next on the list, the rookie cornerbacks. Man, it really looks like Brian Gutekunst hit the jackpot with his first two draft picks as Packers GM. Jair Alexander led the team in tackles against Minnesota. He's he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. That's really my favorite thing about him. You've seen these Packer cornerbacks or safeties, to be honest with you, in the past where it seems like they wait for the action to come to them. They're reactive instead of being proactive. Alexander is very much... Uh, a proactive defender. Uh, He did have what would have been a game-sealing interception wiped out by a Clay Matthews roughing the passer penalty, which we will definitely touch on later. Um, Josh Jackson, meanwhile, made his first impact play as a Green Bay Packer, uh, getting his hands on a blocked punt, catching it in the end zone for a touchdown, got to do his first Lambo leap. That was awesome. Uh, so your rookie cornerbacks really looking, at least through two games, uh, like they're starting to pan out, which is really nice to see. Next on the list, and this is going to sound super weird because you don't hear this a lot, but J.K. Scott, the Packers' rookie punter, 
put on an absolute show on Sunday. When was the last time that the Packers had a weapon at punter? This guy was unbelievable. He punted five times, a little over 45-yard average, long of 63, also had another one that went 59. He just completely flips the field, and that's a weapon that the Packers have not had in quite a long time. Sticking with special teams, Mason Crosby. Loved Mason Crosby on Sunday. Despite uh, the miss on the 52-yarder at the end of regulation, which he doesn't get enough credit, frankly, and maybe he shouldn't because it didn't count, but the one that he hit when Mike Zimmer called the timeout and it wiped it out, he drilled that thing, and it was awesome. And I really thought um, that second attempt that he was going to do the exact same thing. He just hooked it a little bit left. Didn't work out for him. But five field goals on the day made from 37, 40, 31, 48, and 36. He's honestly a big reason that the Packers – built the cushion that they had throughout this game. Um, so can you really fault him for missing the 52-yarder at the end? I don't think so. Uh, he has proven to be a valuable asset even in his 12th year. He's been so solid ever since, uh, I think it was that 2012 season where he was just god-awful. Uh, there was a lot of talk of what his future with the team was going to be, and ever since then he's, he's been incredible. Uh, last thing, what I liked, the running game. And this was not something, it was not a game where you're going to see an eye-popping rushing total. Uh, but it was generally effective against a defense that I think most people would have said uh, was going to hold Green Bay very, very effectively in check uh, in the running game. But Jamal Williams was kind of your lead horse again. He carried 16 times. 59 yards, so about a 3.7-yard average, which you'll take. Ty Montgomery, five carries, 31 yards, 6.2 yards per carry. Uh, So they were finding holes. There was real estate to be had in the running game, and they actually took advantage of it uh, pretty well. It'll be very interesting to see with Aaron Jones coming off of suspension uh, this next Sunday against Washington what he can add to the running game. Uh, And I think... If the Packers need to lean on the running game at any point this season, I think from what we've seen so far, they might be able to do it. All right, so moving on to what I didn't like. And this first one has little to do with the Packers specifically and really about the direction that officiating is going when it comes to roughing the passer. The enforcement of rushing the passer has been brutal through the first two weeks. There's been calls in multiple, multiple games, but we'll stick to what happened on Sunday. There were poor calls on both teams on Sunday. There was one on Eric Kendricks from the Vikings that should not have been roughing the passer by any means. It's exactly what you want people to do. Um, when you're talking about the new body weight emphasis, you want them to wrap up and slide off to the side and kind of roll their body, and that's exactly what he did. It was a terrible call. That one, however, probably didn't have as direct an impact on the outcome of the game as the call on Clay Matthews 
uh, late in the fourth quarter. Vikings driving, trying to score uh, to tie the game up. And Kirk Cousins unleashes a pass down the right side. It's picked off by Jair, Jair Alexander. Everyone's going nuts. Game over, right? Nope. Look back. Flag on the play. This call, and I understand, Tony Carrente, the official who called it after the game, said that it had nothing to do with the new body weight emphasis. He said that he threw the flag because Clay Matthews allegedly picked up Kirk Cousins and drove him into the ground, which, if you look at the tape, is just flat-out false. It did not happen. Kirk Cousins heaved the ball. That throwing motion lifted his feet off the ground, and Clay Matthews executed a perfect form tackle, exactly how you are taught to tackle a ball carrier ever since, you know, from the age of eight or whenever you start playing contact football. It was possibly the most egregious roughing the passer call I've ever seen in my life, and I I just don't get it. The... The need to fix this is so important before it fundamentally changes how people rush the quarterback. You saw it another point on Sunday where Mike Daniels got to Kirk Cousins before the ball was released, wrapped him up, and then just let him go because he didn't want to take the chance of taking Cousins to the ground and getting flagged for it. It's getting to the point where guys are completely changing the way they play the game. And I understand that the whole point of these new emphasis is to protect players. You don't want quarterbacks being unnecessarily roughed, and I totally get it. But in at least three separate situations, two that were called, one where Daniels pulled up because he was afraid of getting a flag, you're taking this emphasis way too far and I think that if they don't get it fixed really really fast then it's going to fundamentally change things and I know the last thing that people want is more stoppages and more replay reviews but if we keep going down this road we're going to have to make these things reviewable because the officials through two weeks under these new uh, emphasis have not shown the ability to get the calls right in real time. Moving on. This one's more Packers specific. I did not like Devon House in man coverage. Uh, On the 75-yard touchdown to Stephon Diggs, um, that was basically a huge answer for the Vikings after the Packers went up, uh, I think, nine um, in the fourth quarter. If you look at the tape, the matchup was probably forced by the Vikings. They were probably looking to take advantage. It was one of those things where... You know, you've got your boundary corner and your slot corner, and they're going to work on what's called a banjo call, which basically means if you've got two receivers stacked, then whoever is on the boundary takes whichever receiver releases outside, and the slot corner takes whoever releases inside. It's a really simple concept. But the fact that House is being trusted in that position is what I don't like here. You've got two rookie corners who, A, are faster than Devon House, and B, have actually played way more snaps defensively than Devon House through two weeks. So while you're not trusting those guys, 
in that situation? I have no idea. And again, I understand. He was filling in for Kevin King, who was injured. But you can absolutely, if if Devon House has to be on the field, then you line him up away from Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen. You don't let Devon House take one of those guys one-on-one because at this point in his career, he's just not going to be able to make it work. So I would really like to see either Tremont Williams, Jair Alexander, or Josh Jackson be trusted in that role going forward. Uh, And lastly, this is kind of a silly one, but honestly, ties. I don't like ties. The NFL should come up with some kind of solution where there is a clear winner and loser to every game. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to have the be-all, end-all solution to that. If it were up to me, I would like to see them take some form of the college overtime rule, um, except you would pro- you'd have to move the ball back. You'd start your possessions on either you know, the 40, maybe even midfield, um, just given the range that NFL kickers have nowadays. You're starting on the 25. That's almost like a guaranteed three points. Um, unless you're watching this Packer-Viking game on Sunday, in which case, I don't know. Uh, that Carlson kid from Minnesota was having a really hard time finding the uprights. Um, but I think if you added kind of that college rule format to NFL overtime, first of all, it adds excitement. Each team gets to possess the ball. There's, it feels more like there's something on the line rather than, you know, a team getting the ball at the 20-yard line. Oh, they go three and out. Now they have to punt. And then that team goes three and out. And it just keeps going back and forth, which leads into I really feel like those that college format can more quickly decide the outcomes of games in overtime. I know that there is the rare college game that goes to like eight overtimes and it's super long but it's also super exciting imagine the nfl where each game is treated like it's sacred imagine an nfl game going to like four overtimes with the best players in the world on the field going toe-to-toe i just think that would be a lot better than having a game end in a tie which makes no one feel good about it. Both teams walk off the field disappointed, feeling like they let one slip away. And Aaron Rodgers even said so in his post-game press conference. A tie is probably the closest feeling to a loss that you can get. And obviously both teams want to come out with a win, but there's almost this feeling of being unsatisfied, even though you don't have an, uh, an L, you're unsatisfied with the result because it just doesn't feel right. There's a reason that the old saying goes, a tie is like kissing your sister. It doesn't seem right. That's going to do it for episode two of the Is This Heaven podcast. Make sure keep your eyes on the website. Uh, we'll have coverage all week leading up to Packers Redskins next week, and we'll hope you tune in again as we recap that game next Monday. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.